I, uh, I've been getting a lot of emails uh, on a regular basis from a diff- a, 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 just different sites, uh, websites, uh, instructions on how to preach. I don't know who out there has subscribed me to all these uh, sites. <laughs> I see that hand. <laughs> uh, but there was, one, there was one I did look at, and I did take, take some notes from it, and one line that stuck with me is, a good sermon is a good story. And this morning, I have a great story, a great story. It's not mine. It was written by the Apostle John as he reflected on what Jesus had done in his life. And I want to share that story with you. Actually, it comes from the uh, 21st chapter of the Gospel of John. We, can't, we sh- won't read the whole thing. We'll just read the first 19 verses. But we'll make references to some of the other things that are unfolded and revealed in the story written by John. As you're looking for that passage of Scripture, John 21, I'd, I'd just like to stop and, and pray. And if you want to join me, that would be wonderful. Lord, may we hear you clearly this morning. May the words of a man not stand in the way of the truth. May the message be your story entirely. And may it touch the very heart of each and every one that's here today. We love hearing from you, Lord. And as we receive what you have for us, May we take full advantage of it. May we allow you to do your changing work in our lives, to have that word really penetrate our hearts and make us the disciples that you would have us to be. I ask this, we ask this together in Jesus' name. Amen. Beginning with John 21, verse 1, reading through 19. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee and two other of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? (laughs) They answered, No. He said to them, Cast the net on the other side of the boat. And you will find some. So they cast it. And now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved, therefore, said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped down for work, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, 
about 100 yards off. When they got out, of the, got out on the land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid on it and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and some with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walked wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. After this, he said to him, follow me. Reading the recent comments and seeing all the photos on Facebook following our Easter service last week, it's pretty clear that there was a good number of you who really enjoyed that service. I should say the services that we had that day. Celebrating the resurrection. Easter Sunday was a wonderful day for all of us. And thanks to many of you who went the extra mile to make it so special. It was something to be enjoyed by all who were here for that glorious day. And I think it's safe to say for most Christians around the world, it was truly, or it should be at least, a very special day. We have good reason to celebrate as Easter commemorates the very event in history that gives reason for our faith as Christians. Without the resurrection, if you remember, as Pastor Matt emphasized strongly, quoting from 1 Corinthians 15, verses 14 and 17, and if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Paul, as well as our pastor, seemed to stress the importance of the resurrection to us today as believers. Glory to God for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because of the resurrection, we have good reason to celebrate. However, the mood of the disciples following the resurrection 
was not one of celebration. If you just read through the gospel accounts of the day and the days following the day that Jesus was raised from the dead, the mood was anything but celebrative. Among the eleven in particular, there was fear. We read in John's account that they were in a room with the doors locked because of fear of the Jews. Doubt and disbelief stole from them the little glimpses of hope and reasons for joy. The disciples doubted the reports of the women when they came back and said, We saw him. He spoke to us. Thomas, the doubter, his words just seemed to represent really what everyone wanted to say, but he was the only one that would say it. Unless I see the nail marks in his hands, I will not believe. Disbelief. When we look at John 21, we also recognize among at least seven of the disciples a sense of despair, lostness, not knowing what to do, even after seeing Jesus for themselves, knowing that Jesus was alive, just totally bewildered as to what's next. After they had seen him on two occasions, Peter reveals his confusion and his bewilderment by making the announcement, I'm going fishing. To which six others said, well, we'll just go with you. Like, what else is there? (laughs) Just kind of go back from where we started and see if we can put it back together again somehow. I also believe there's another cloud that's hanging over these disciples. A very dark cloud that would rob them of the fullness of joys that should have been theirs. And that is the heaviness of guilt. Maybe more for Peter than others, I don't know. But they all know that each and every one of them deserted Jesus in their last hour. So the seven returned to where their lives were before Jesus had called them to follow him. Now, I love this story for a lot of reasons. I like fishing. I like sunrises. I like breakfast. I like walking on the shore. I like all this stuff. Just, I want just to read it, this passage, the section of this passage again, just so you can kind of catch the beauty of this day, the, the, the gloriousness of, of this occasion. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? To which they answered, no. Now, no fisherman ever wants to say, no, I don't have any fish. So it wasn't a real good day at that point, at least in the lives of the disciples. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it. And now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. The mood has changed pretty quickly in this boat. They have got a haul of fish. You wonder what's running through their minds at that time. Another occasion when they were fishing once before. The disciple whom Jesus loved, therefore, said to Peter, It's the Lord! (laughs) Do you see the brilliance of the day coming alive? As they're beginning to recognize what's happening around them. 
It's a freshness of a new day. When Peter saw or Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment. First person I ever know to put clothes on to go fishing or go swimming. He jumps into the sea. <laughs> the other disciples, smart enough to stay in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land. And then when they got out on the land, they saw a charcoal fire in place. Fish laid on the fire and bread. I love this. And Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast with me. No, no, not one of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Woo! Boy, wouldn't you like to have a breakfast club like that some morning? Wow. I have to tell you, my imagination grips me here when I, when I try to see it all. Just kind of figure what it was like to, to witness this, this glorious encounter of Christ with his seven disciples. I can see these guys with food in hand but can't put it in their mouths because they're, they're grinning from ear to ear and, and their eyes are fixed on Jesus. I don't know how much they ate that morning, but they took in everything. Everything that was happening around them. What follows breakfast, though, is truly the best part of the story. The walk along the water's edge was not a casual stroll to be enjoyed, simply taking in a morning breeze coming off the lake. It was Peter and Jesus. Wow. Just Peter and Jesus. John following at a distance. Peter, who is inwardly carrying his shame for denying Christ. Can you imagine? Just waiting. What is he going to say to me? There are two comments that are pivotal in determining what is next in the life of this disciple. Two things that Jesus asks and says to Peter. First, the question. Jesus asked Peter, Do you love me? Three times he asked this to Peter. And the thought is, as Peter denied Jesus three times, Jesus posed the question three times. Do not begin to think that this is some kind of penance. That somehow Peter had to pay for each and every sin that he committed against Jesus. That wasn't it at all. Because you see, that sin of denial, those three denials, all those sins in Peter's life were taken care of on the cross. This was Jesus, step by step, asking Peter to again claim, step by step, that intimacy that the Lord himself wanted with his disciple. Do you love me? Yes, I love you. Do you really love me? I really love you. Can you just imagine how he comes to that point when he just pours himself out completely, knowing that when that part of the conversation is complete, he is complete in Christ Jesus. The conversation was to reinstate Peter to the place that Jesus had assigned him on that day so long ago, three years ago, when he first said to him, Come, follow me. I'm going to make you fishers of men. Peter, upon you, I'm going to build my church. 
Jesus is saying to Peter, you're worthy. And Peter, I love you, and I'm entrusting this work to you. Just as I announced to you so long ago. Peter was suitable to carry out the mission. And Jesus confirmed that that morning on the Sea of Galilee. Second, the direction. Jesus puts before Peter the course for his life. The directions were simple. Peter had heard them before. These aren't new words to Peter. He heard them, like I said, three years ago on a similar kind of fishing trip when they fished all night and didn't catch a blooming thing until Jesus showed up. And they caught so many fish that they tried to haul it in and they couldn't have needed the help from their buddies to get the fish to shore. And Jesus says to him, follow me, for I'm going to make you fishers of men. Peter hears the words again and is recorded for us in this passage of scripture two times. The first time Jesus says, follow me. And then later in the chapter, Jesus says, you must follow me. Boy, there there, there is a tremendous, tremendous revelation for Peter as he's trying to make sense of what's next, what's next. And after Jesus says to Peter the first time, He speaks these prophetic words concerning the apostles' future. He says to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, Peter, when you were a young man, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was going to glorify God. And after making that statement to Peter, he says this to him, follow me. Jesus was saying to Peter, you love me? Follow me. And it's going to cost you your very life. Jesus says that to you and me. (laughs) Follow me? If you love me, follow me. And it's going to cost you everything. You cannot be my disciples, Jesus said, unless you follow me, unless you give up everything. According to Fox's Books of Martyrs, Peter would be crucified, not like Jesus, but by his own request to be hung upside down, believing he was, quote, unworthy to be crucified after the same form and manner that his Lord was. Unquote. I apologize. I, I, I have a quote here. <laughs> in, in my preparation for, my ser- for the sermon, I forgot to identify the author of it. It's not my words. But I think it summarizes very much where Peter is and where we are when we consider what is asked of us concerning discipleship. The quote is, The life of discipleship is a combination of promise and persecution. Blessing and suffering. God takes nothing from a Christian without making multiplied restoration in a new and glorious form. Peter's life wasn't a waste. It wasn't wasted on the waters fishing. It wasn't wasted in his, in his journey through Jerusalem as he was professing under the power of the Holy Spirit of who Jesus is and what he's all about. And even through his death as a martyr... Through Peter's life and death, 
Thousands of people have come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. (laughs) Multiplied restoration of one life is the power of God and accomplished through this one disciple. Let's come back to the question. What Jesus was asking of Peter is what he would ask all his disciples. Not just the 11, the 7, the 11, the 120, the 500, the the, the 3,000, accepting Christ on the first day of Pentecost. Through the centuries of time, even today, he is asking it of each and every one of us. Since the beginning of that first call to follow me. Do you love me? (laughs) Do you love me? How much do we love him? Do we love him more than these? The very thing that he asked Peter. Do we love him more than our work, our leisure, our assets, our friends, our family? Do we love him even more than our very own life? If you do, the instructions are quite clear. Follow me. (laughs) Just follow me. Jesus came to these disciples when they were lost. He came to them when they were at the lowest point in their life. He came to them when their hearts were heavy. When they couldn't make sense of what was happening in their own lives. He came to them when they, they chose to, to, to claim again the old familiar ways. Only to discover that it would disappoint them. <laughs> he came to them when they were dealing with a heaviness of guilt. When they were totally disoriented. Having no sense of direction in life. And brothers and sisters in Christ, disciples of Jesus, he comes to us in the same way. He comes to us when we're lost. He comes to us when we're confused, when we're at the lowest point of our life, when when things are so heavy we don't even know if he can make it. He comes to us when things are happening in our lives we can't explain. He comes to us when we, we have that tendency to somehow fall back in the familiar, recognizing it can suck us into a path that is not only fruitless but could be destructive. He comes to us when we're dealing with the heaviness of guilt. He comes to us when we're disoriented and we have no sense of direction in life. He comes to us to show us the way. The invitation to follow is before us every day. Every day. I believe believe when we get up in the morning, Jesus is ready to say, follow me. Before you throw one foot off that that bed and put it on the floor, he's saying, follow me. Point that foot in the right direction. (laughs) Just follow me. It's a call to keep us from slipping back to the familiar. It's a call to keep us away from the things that would do us in. It's a call from depending upon our, our own resources, our own ways. Our our self-assurance. It's a call. A call from as well as a call to. A call to follow. I I want to close the service this morning with a hymn, and I think Matt's helped me make the adjustment here. As I I ran, I love this hymn. And I think I've shared this story with uh, at least the staff at, uh, at the Advent Christian General Conference during chapel one time. The story behind the, f- the hymn, I have decided to follow Jesus. And many of you know that song. 
What, what page is that, Matt? 641? Just open your hymnals real quick. Hymn number 641. And the way you're doing this, let me tell you the story. It originated out of an experience that unfolded in the middle of the 19th century when some Welsh missionaries went to northeast India in the state of Assam. And in their attempt to win these natives of India, and many of them were headhunters at the time, there was one family that was reached with the message of the gospel. And this father and mother and two children made the profession of faith. And they were so sold out on Jesus that they, had, they took any and every opportunity they could to tell their others in the village about Christ. Well, the chief, who was not a believer, was quite disturbed about this vibrant witness for Jesus, not knowing who Jesus was and didn't particularly care. And brought the man forward and said, you must deny Christ or you will pay a penalty. And he chose not to. And it says, said that his first words, I have decided to follow Jesus. And immediately, the chief had his two children executed. And the next words that at least were recorded, though none go with me, still I will follow. He, they killed his wife. Then finally, when the, crew, the chief came to him to threaten to take the man's life, his own life, the man said, the cross before me, the world behind me. I don't know how long it took for those words to be found in the shape of a hymn, but they were recorded and were put into him by a man named Satu Sundar Singh an Indian. And that melody was actually from the Assam region where this family was executed for the cause of Christ. As you may know, it's become a very popular song, not just in Christian circles, but was very much a, a song that Billy Graham used in many of his crusades. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. I have decided to follow Jesus I just want us, this morning, I, I don't know who, if there are those who have not made that decision yet to follow Jesus. But I just want to encourage you. It's an individual decision. doesn't matter what anybody else does. It's yours if you want to follow Jesus. And if, if we are followers of Christ and we say that we love him, then we can simply say, none go with me, still I will follow. Or we can say, the cross before me, the world behind me. No turning back, no turning back. The life of a disciple is a combination of promise and persecution, blessing and suffering. 
God takes nothing from a Christian without making multiplied restoration in a new and glorious form. That's ours as we follow Jesus Christ. Amen.